Welcome to Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering. Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 26. And this episode, I'm joined by Carla Carmichael. She's the VP of Nuclear Decommissioning Strategy at Ontario Power Generation, or as I'll probably refer to them, mostly OPG. Carla, welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, albeit remotely in this COVID-19 circumstance. Uh, pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So just to maybe if you can um, give us a, just a little bit of a uh, introduction to yourself, you know, kind of a background, uh, you know, if you were a, you know, what, what's your origin story? If you were a comic book superhero, for example, how did, how did you get into to nuclear power generation and into the energy space? Uh, just give us okay. a background on, on Carla. Okay, my background. So um, I am actually uh, an accountant by profession, which uh, people have told me I am the most atypical accountant they have ever met. Uh, so I, I mean, the, the secret truth is that I actually wanted to be an engineer. So I love talking to engineers, but I, I uh, kind of couldn't manage to do all that uh, physics and chemistry that was required. But being analytical, I sort of fell into uh, accounting and business, and so that's how I started my journey. Um, I guess the one thing about me is that um, I like to do a lot of different things and like to take a lot of different challenges and seek out sort of opportunities that don't uh, sort of bore me. So my whole career has been about um, yeah, starting as an accountant, but um, quickly uh, changing roles, taking on opportunities to do things that I never thought I'd be given the opportunity to do. So I started uh, as an accountant at a large global high-tech company. Um, some of you may remember it. It was called Nokia. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I worked, as a, worked my way up as an accountant there to head of finance, and then quickly kind of got bored of that and asked to become, uh, take on marketing and communications to learn that skill set. Um, and that sort of evolved into why I, I basically ended up uh, working in the energy sector. Because at that time, uh, the phone called the iPhone came out yes. and uh, late 2007, eight. And um, I saw the writing on the wall and started thinking about other opportunities and Ontario Power Generation came knocking and they were looking for somebody who had some finance capability, but then could also do some marketing and public relations around nuclear um, and um, and that that area. And so I was very lucky to get into that company at that time and take on new roles, learning about nuclear. I basically worked in the operations side, operational reporting, benchmarking, looking at ways we can improve performance. So I had to learn a lot about nuclear energy at that time. Didn't know anything actually, and so I was starting from scratch cool. um, and then sort of evolved to you know lead finance for all the nuclear stations and a large nuclear project so I think it was about a three billion dollar operating budget and maybe a billion and a half capital expenditure at the time um, I was lucky to be involved sort of in the business case for Darlington nuclear refurbishment and okay. that's how I ended up then moving there 
mm. asking to kind of move into the project world, which I thought was exciting. Um, and it was very exciting. Three years of uh, a lot of excitement being there. Um, and uh, I led the commercial management group there and project assurance. And then they needed sort of somebody with some project experience, financial acumen, some stakeholdering uh, abilities to move into decommissioning. And this is why I ended up in decommissioning. It, it's a very large, our, our next largest project for OPG, uh, decommissioning the Pickering Nuclear Station. And, um, and it involves a lot of uh, project work, a lot of uh, financial acumen, and a lot of stakeholdering. So that's how I ended up here. And it's a fabulous portfolio. And I'm excited to uh, have started uh, that job probably um, late 2018. Okay. And and so your OPG career has always been on the nuclear side of the business as opposed to hydro or fossil. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Even though I was sort of a corporate, I called like when you're in finance, you're a corporate person, but um, I remember the chief nuclear officer telling me at that time, uh, Carla, you're not corporate, you're nuclear <laughs> through and through. <laughs> I have the DNA, I guess. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I, I spent uh, my last co-op term turned into eight months at, um, at Nanacoke. And uh, it was very, very clear to me that there was kind of the thermal hydro side of the business and there was nuclear. And they were, you know, almost, yeah. you know, with good reason, almost two different companies. Uh, in some. Yeah, two, two different sort of types of energy we've worked a lot over the last uh you know five six years to create an opg1 perspective mm. that we all kind of learn each other's business we've had rotations a very good idea to rotate people in and out of all of the areas cool. breaking down silos learning the other sides of the business creates better uh, better staff better strategies um, better succession planning for the organization. So we've done a lot to break down that 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 sort of siloing of the organizations. Cool. Well, before we get into the decommissioning piece, maybe you know, for those who are listening, you can you know break down maybe from a high level our our fleet of, of nuclear assets. I think we have two. You know, high level are they similar technologies, different technologies? Maybe give us a a crash course in OP. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I can give you the general outline. Uh, so OPG actually owns three nuclear stations. Uh, we um, own the Pickering Nuclear Station, the Darlington Nuclear Station, and the Bruce Power Nuclear Station. Uh, we do not operate the Bruce Power uh, Nuclear Station. We lease that uh, to Bruce Power, and they operate it. Um, it is a part of uh, OPG's fleet of assets. Okay. And, be and because of that, it, it um, is included in my decommissioning portfolio. So Bruce Power is one of the plants we will ultimately uh, decommission because we have the obligation to do so. Hmm. Um, all uh, three stations um, are can-do nuclear reactors, um, which are pressurized heavy water reactors, so PHWRs, and they use heavy water as both the coolant and moderator. And the other sort of unique, well, different feature than, say, the American technology is that we use natural uranium as fuel. Hmm. Um, and these uh, these PWRs, um, the coolants used to boil ordinary water in separate loops, 
Um, but um, another sort of difference or advantage, I guess, to can do is that uh, we can do online fueling, so we don't have to stop the reactors to fuel them. And, um, and we also use the non-enriched uranium, which is a lot less costly than enriched uranium. And, um, and also, um, we have different, uh, I guess, backup safety features. So sort of they call them redundant safety features in the industry. So that's sort of uh, the sort of difference of technology. Um, Pickering was brought, Pickering was our first, uh, brought, which was brought online uh, around the first, uh, uh, Pickering A was brought online 1971, mm. and then the B, what they call the B side, was about 1980s, 1981, um, and then our Darlington facility um, has more recent design and came online 1990. Um, and um, some of the differences, be, there there are a lot like technical differences because you have your uh, your evolving technology, candy technology. Um, but one of the big differences between Darlington and Pickering and why there's a lot of uh, reasons why we decided to refurbish Darlington and not Pickering is because Darlington units actually generate twice the, the amount of energy as Pickering's. Hmm. So Pickering was first evolution, Darlington came, uh, Bruce Power came, these units are a lot bigger. So it makes more sense from an economic perspective to make those kinds of refurbishment investments in Pickering or in Darlington and and Bruce Power. Um, so that's one of the main differences uh, between the um, between the sort of unit capacity features there. And and is that just a reflection of the the technology grows and it just it gets bigger or or are you getting more out of the same you know? unit or like what what has caused what caused that you know over 30 years what caused that no 20 years rather what caused that increase in, in output well the the design of the uh the reactors themselves they have different design cap okay. capacities when they're they're designed and so the first design of pickering was a smaller smaller um, design output capacity Gotcha. Um, and then as we uh, as we moved, uh, and and it was an ACL technology, right? Um, not not OPGs. Um, and um, and as they uh, evolved these designs, they were able to put in um, various components, features that um, allowed them to output more electricity. Okay. It's an evolution. Sure. And and from a from an operations perspective, in simple terms. You know, once once it's brought either back from a, a refurbishment or or when it first came online, mm -hmm. you know, talk to us about you know these base load continuous like mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar with with nuclear as an operating asset, can you talk to us just a little bit about how they operate? And sure. Um, so nuclear is the base load generation of sort of the province of Ontario. So they don't typically maneuver with the demand changes. It's, um, it's complicated, um, costly, and, um, and it's not great on the equipment um, to maneuver units, uh, nuclear units. So they are considered base load generating units. Now, um, there are times when um, we do have to, um, we do. We are asked to maneuver, and I'm talking about ask in the broader sense, as the um, um, the IESO is the one who uh, regulates the supply and demand uh, of the province. 
Now, the the first thing we do um, when there is demand uh, um, demand uh, or supply overage is we would maneuver our hydro station. So hydro is much easier to maneuver. Uh, the water flows around the generators. Um, we are in sort of that situation currently during COVID because um, the, the demand has decreased. So our hydro plants um, are, um, are have been asked to do that. The, the second um, thing that would be done would be Bruce Power Maneuvers, their station. They have technology, they have more um, technology to be able to do that okay. um, at Bruce Power. Um, and so they are the second. And then the third would be a Darlington situation. Um, and so we're not at that state. Um, and in fact, uh, one of our um, our, our requirements at this time, one of the things we're very focused on at OPG is um, maintaining the nuclear capacity um, at, at a strong level um, because we just never know what type of uh, units will go down for, due to COVID um, shortages, health uh, or employee shortages, staff shortages around the, the province. So it's very important to keep that baseload generating going uh, particularly during this time. Yeah, and, and I guess I'm curious on that particular piece because you know we you you you're you're running all the time. I would you know the the, the mm -hmm. level of operations and oversight you know by you know operators and and the humans uh, mm -hmm. you know is probably pretty high. Um, you know you've probably had to make some adjustments in in COVID. You, are you are you mm -hmm. able to staff them? Is that a concern? Mm -hmm. How's that being managed by OPG right now? Yeah, I would say um, one of the key risks that all nuclear utilities are facing at this time is um, to ensure that there's a minimum, minimum, what we call minimum complement, a minimum number of staff that are needed on site to run that nuclear unit safely, right? So um, it's, a, it's a regulatory requirement um, that we have that kind of qualified operations, maintenance, uh, oversight staff that are there to run that unit safely. Um, and if, you know, people get sick or they're not, not just sick, but that they're required to stay home, they have to isolate because they've been in contact with someone, um, there could be a potential for, um, uh, you know, crews, shifts, numbers to reduce to the point where you cannot run that unit. So it's really critical that every um, utility or uh, nuclear utility is focused on basically maintaining that minimum number of qualified workers. Um, that's That situation is constantly being monitored by mm -hmm. our nuclear group. We have a crisis center set up just to, to review those, uh, constantly monitoring that situation. Um, putting in place, I'd say, um, worst case plans um, of you know, at the point, at what point do you start sequestering people, making right. sure that there's enough enough people there that are safe and are uh, separated from the community. Um, so these plans are all there. Um, they're being monitored. Um, we at OPG um, generate 50% of Ontario's electricity. So we, you know, it's obviously imperative that we maintain that needed resource, uh, particularly in this COVID time, right? Yeah. Um, I would I would say that every utility 
I mean, you hear probably read in the news a lot, a lot of uh, the U.S. utilities, everybody's, you know, talking about the risk of having to shut down. Um, but every utility would have a pandemic plan, a business continuity plan. I know OPG's had one forever because they've had it since the day I started, which was 12 years ago. I remember sitting in meetings talking about these plans. And I know the people that put them together. And I always kind of thought, oh, this will this ever happen right, right, right. and here we are 12 years later <laughs> right and i can say that um well you always test things i mean one of the things with nuclear is um they're very risk averse thankfully yes um it's in our dna and we're always thinking worst case situations planning for worst case situations investing in worst case situations so that we have mitigating plans right and these are reviewed by the regulator canadian nuclear safety commission um and so they they are very sound i would say that ours has held up um, um we're able to safely operate all all well not nine units all of our units once being returned to service because it was being refurbished okay. and um and on top of that i would say you know we have this nuclear work that we're doing we have infectious disease incident response teams we have crisis management teams making sure everybody's protected and safe um, but we also have our hydro business that is also dealing with fresh shad at this time of the year. Uh -huh. So it's a company-wide um, struggle at this time to make sure everything's running optimally, but also we're protecting our employees and we're also protecting the community, whether it's you know with our nuclear plants or with our, our dams and, and the fresh shad. So uh, there's a lot of work going on across the province and OPG to protect everybody's safety. Yeah, and uh, we, we live here in Niagara, and so we, we'll go for bike rides and we'll, oh. see, we'll see OPG signs yeah. all over the place. Uh, more yeah, yeah. Falls uh, generating station and the whole water. For sure. Into that. For sure. Trying yeah. to um, estimate how much water is going to be, you know, uh, melt and what how and what time. It's, it's a very totally. complicated yeah. thing to, for them to manage, yeah. You mentioned it earlier, um, succession planning, and that's something, you know, even in our firm we're always thinking about, mm -hmm. but, you know, Talk to me about, you know, you power generation, you know, in, in general, I guess, is, is, is certainly a specified field. And then you, you narrow that even further, you know, with mm -hmm. nuclear, um, you know, and then you even further, you know, the number mm -hmm. of people that have decommissioned a nuclear site. Like, mm -hmm. that must be something that you're thinking about a lot in terms of, you know, do we have the skilled trades people? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, do we have the right, you know, engineers and, and, and partners and, and, you know, from a skilled trades mm -hmm. kind of knowledge base that that must be something you're thinking about and, and, and perhaps even concerned about uh, from a global level? Yeah. Well, sure. Um, so just kind of stepping back a bit, um, when I was in the Darlington refurbishment project, my role was... Um, commercial management and project assurance, which was really around mitigating the large risks that um, that were apparent to the project, to the successful completion on time, on budget of that project and safely. 
So um, obviously one of them is vendor capacity and its capability. Um, before we even started that project for 10 years, we were building up that supply chain, investing in that supply chain. We knew that there was going to be um, a demand that was un since probably the 70s, 80s, when we first built these plants, uh, the, the demand was unseen. So we knew we had to start early. So um, assessing supply chain uh, capability and building that up. Um, at the same time, um, the um, sort of the more um, STEM type of work, um, you know, we we had to um, procure that, make sure, I mean, these companies that we work with had spent many years uh, developing um, their, um, their capability uh, of engineering project management uh, staff. And, um, and then on top of that, we have had to sort of consider the risk around skilled trades. And that became actually our number one risk to the project. Hmm. Um, and which is kind of interesting because you're running a nuclear project. You think, you know, there may be other things um, that they, they are risks, yeah. definitely risks. But one of the risks to actually achieving an on-time, on-budget project um, was skilled trades, or at least the the gap or the shortage of skilled trades that that were being projected, and it's a really long, convoluted issue um, that um, you know I had to wade into as the person responsible to try to mitigate it. Of course, OPG can't own changing um, the sh skilled trade shortage of the right. world. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it was our vendor's obligation to pr make sure that there were um, adequate um, um, uh, supply uh, for our project. But of course, you know, it takes a village. Um, yeah. So we work with our vendors, we're the owners, work with the vendors, work with the governments, all different levels of government, because it is a really complicated issue. Um, and um, and it uh, stems from, you know, the stigma attached of, you know, a kid wanting to become a skilled tradesperson and the parents going, no, I don't want my kid being a, you know, a welder or a, I want them to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or whatever, right? Sure. So it starts way back when you're a child, uh, essentially. And, um, and then it doesn't get any easier if you are, um, if you're a person who would like to be in the skilled trades, it sort of... You know, when you get to high school, lack of opportunity to um, take those courses. It's not in the curriculum. The guidance counselors aren't promoting that. Uh, then when you kind of get out of high school and you want to still maybe become a skilled trace person, uh, finding a, a, a sponsor for an apprenticeship is very complicated, very difficult. Still a lot of the old boys club in that area. I, I think it's changing a lot, but, you know, we were seeing a lot of that. Um, and, and on and on and on throughout that whole process, there's so many barriers to becoming a skilled tradesperson and we could see it all. And so finally, I think over the last, you know, five years or so, everyone has started to recognize that there is a need. We need to change the way we, we promote this. The, the provincial governments have, has done a really good job of creating uh, new programs around it, marketing it to the youth um, and making it sort of hip, more hipper, I guess. And it, and it really is unfortunate because, uh, or unfortunate that um, people aren't 
sort of considering skilled trades because they're very high paying jobs, mm -hmm. right? Very high paying jobs. Uh, usually you're getting paid to um, learn, yeah. um, which, which most of us never had that luxury. Um, and they're safe. You know, the old, you know, we all think of them as not being safe and dirty and all that stuff. And it's so untrue now. I mean, I've seen skilled trades people. They are using joysticks to run robotics, robotic, remote robotics for uh, the, the projects that we work on. Um, and, of course, there is some grunt work. But um, but it's they're safe now. They um, high paying jobs. And what better than knowing that you have work when you come out of school? Like you have a job, cool. right? They're they're yeah. So I I I think that you know it's turning. More people are entering. The average age of an apprentice now is 29. Wow. Because wow. a lot of people have gone to, yeah, a lot of people wow. have gone to university, realize that they're either there's no jobs or they don't have that aptitude or whatever. And now they're switching to uh, skilled trades. But then the challenge becomes um, that we have more people wanting to, say, go to college to learn a skilled trades, but there's not enough seats for them. Right. Um, because the way the dollars flow, they flow for, you know, other kind of programs at this point. So there's lots of reasons, lots of barriers that have to be fixed. But what I would say, my message has always been, it takes everybody to kind of fix this issue and to sort of target it, target and implement specific actions where you need things to be you know, fixed. So it, you know, that, that kind of holistic approach to, to, to closing that gap, I think is a hundred percent right. But I guess my follow-up question would be, you know, can that happen quickly enough for for OPG to mitigate that risk, or mm -hmm. did you have to consider, you know, other creative solutions in the interim to mitigate that risk? Well, yeah, it wasn't. It's not easy, and it's still a risk. I think it's um, a reduced reduced risk, but it's still a, a significant risk, not just to our current projects, but like you said, to sort of continuing projects around decommissioning and. And all the infrastructure projects that are ongoing everywhere. So it's not just OPG. It's not just the nuclear industry. It's not the energy industry. It's everything, right? Because you've, you've got a lot of infrastructure projects ongoing at this time. I'll give you an example of, um, so, so OPG, one of the big risks we faced, we didn't have boilermakers. Right. We, we kind of, we did a lot of modeling and we figured out we were going, because Bruce Power was is refurbishing also. So even we worked with Bruce Bruce Power, um, when we figured out based on their schedule, based on our schedule, based on what the union halls had for Boilermakers, what would be the, the shortage? So we knew that our biggest risk was Boilermakers. We were going to be short about 850 Boilermakers at our peak, which is pretty significant, which shut the project down. Um, so what we did was we just did concerted work around creating more Boilermakers. Mm. Um, and um, a couple of years ago, we launched a program with uh, Durham College here in, in Durham. And we called it the Pre-Apprentice pre, pre Boilership Maker Program. And we basically created a program, was co-funded by OPG, by our partner ACOM, by um, the provincial government by Durham College and we basically all threw in some money and we created this program and um, and we saw 
you know, first class of 20 come through, then another class of 20, then another class. And we didn't have to beg people to join this program. Mm. And, and within like the next day that these people graduated from this program, they were working on our project. Wow. So it's really, it's really about, um, focusing on really, um, some key areas and then putting some very specific actions in around these, because otherwise if you kind of just broadly keep talking about it, nothing right. will get done. Right? right. Um, but you know, we knew that that was our problem. We worked uh, conservatively to deal with that specific problem and that's how we kind of overcame it. Um, and, and for decommissioning, I would say, um, yes, it's a whole new way of working. Um, it's a skill set that needs to be developed in the Canadian industry. So I think, you know, if you're, if I'm talking to people listening in the supply chain and vendor world, be prepared <laughs> for getting ready. Right. Uh, there's a lot of business in decommissioning, not just in Canada, but um, also uh, obviously the U.S. That's a new nuclear business, and the U.S. is nuclear decommissioning, and um, and we are already talking with some of our vendors. Um, how do we develop that skill set in the industry over the next five years so that they're ready, right? So let's 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 go there. Let's talk about um, you know decommissioning, and and the, and that's that's really your you've been kind of picked as as you know <laughs> go go figure it out. Um, but, <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so from your from your view of that world, um, I mean, what is it? You know, from a high level, what does it involve? You know, I, I think it's probably one of those things that, um, you know, if, if you're looking at other parts of the power gen sphere who are looking at mm -hmm. nuclear, there's you know, that that probably comes to the forefront as, oh, what are we going to do mm -hmm. when we cut these things down? Like, so there's this whole mm -hmm. uh, uh, stigma or or at a minimum question mark. So maybe maybe cut through some of that in terms of what mm -hmm. it is and mm -hmm. what the high level. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think it's exciting. <laughs> I never would have thought when I started off as an accountant, I don't know how many years ago, I won't tell you, but that I would ever be leading nuclear decommissioning for a large utility like Ontario Power Generation, never in a million years, but here I am today. Sure. Uh, yeah, and um, what is it and what are we going to do? That is, um, that's a good, good question and I have been asked to figure it out. Of course, we have always had preliminary plans um, and there is a, a work there's been an ongoing work program for nuclear uh, plants um, and and part of the regulatory environment you are required to um, have a fund set aside have um, these decommissioning plans put in place um, so that that um, liability isn't just left for years to come for future generations to deal with. So obviously, you know, this has been um, in the in the program for many, many years since the inception of these plants. Um, but what I could say of what I've learned, because um, I'm pretty new to this world, um, but uh, just like any nuclear project, uh, the decommissioning of a nuclear plant is going to be very complex mm. um, and costly. <laughs> so both those things, uh, you know, are, are obvious. Um, but because Pickering is um, shutting down the next five years or so, um, we are already having to do some pretty um, detailed planning of the first phase at least of decommissioning. Um, so decommissioning is sort of broken into several phases in our world and um, um, and so 
um, you basically start with safe stating, then you sort of survey for a period of time and then you dismantle and, and then site remediate. So those are kind of generally the steps. But like, you know, any complicated, highly technical project, R&D is key. So, you know, you got to start working on that now. We've been working on that for years. Engineering will be key. Um, and uh, project planning, project management, all of those elements are um, are fundamental. Um, in addition to, we need to understand what are the prerequisite projects um, and supply chain um, uh, resources and assets that are going to be needed. So we need to identify those now and we need to kind of come up with plans to to kind of address that if there are gaps. So it is um, it like like any large nuclear project, it's complex, requiring a lot of elements. Um, and um, and um, so so it, it is very broadly speaking, you're also talking about uh, financial uh, um, financial resources, um, you know, you have a liability already on the books, you're already set aside money, so you're managing within all of that. You've got a lot of stakeholders who have a lot of, um, um, I'd say, um, opinions of how it should be done, what it should be done. You have a regulator who also oversees this. Um, and so, so it's a very complex sort of program in itself. But um, generally speaking, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that that stakeholdering piece is interesting. I would imagine mm -hmm. there's both internal and external stakeholders. Um, you know, has that who are they? Has that process started? What does that look like in general mm -hmm. terms? Oh, of course. Um, we one of, one of the things we do is we do do a lot of stakeholdering. Um, internally, I would say internally to OPG, but also internally to our shareholder, the province of Ontario, right. um, the, regu the regulator, um, the, the community at large. So particularly, you know, the focus is mainly on Pickering because that is sort of, sort of uh, near, near um, working with the uh, municipalities um, and um, understanding the input packs to uh, the, the, the those stakeholders of course there are sort of stakeholders that don't like our plans or stakeholders that like our plans um, at the end of the day we will um, um, be be presenting our plans the looking at it from a holistic perspective uh, what is the most sustainable approach for uh, all all aspects, including the environment, including the ratepayers, including uh, the community, including the employees of OPG? So that that's the complexity of planning and decommissioning project. And and in terms of decommissioning, like what does the finish line look like? Like is it you know is there going to be a, a Pickering Beach where you know you can go to the beach <laughs> along the water and, and tell your kids that you know there needs to be a, a nuclear plant here? Like what does the end of the road look like in your plan? Well, the end of the road right now it, it, it is uh, site remediation okay. and uh, putting it back to whatever natural state that might be. Um, that that is right now a 60-year plan though okay so so uh so yeah, let me just kind of go what you're saying 
Part, pardon? You have some job security is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and my great-grandchildren, maybe. <laughs> um, so, so the way it works, there, there's kind of different approaches. We, OPG has a deferred decommissioning approach right now. And, um, and what it is is, you know, you, you, you shut the units down and then you, what we call, safe state them. So we defuel, so we take the uranium out, we dewater, and you basically safe safe state them, and then um, and and that's not new. We we've, we've done that before. We do that every time we decommission a plant, or sorry, every time we refurbish a plant. So we, right. you know, defuel, dewater, um, safe state it, um, and um, we did it on uh, Pickering Unit Two and Three because those are in layup right now. Okay. Um, so it's not that that part isn't new uh, to um, to to a decommissioning program and we have lots of experience and understanding of what that entails. So that's the first step that takes, that'll probably take three plus years to do at Pickering. But once that's done, sort of the radiation levels inside certain systems are going to be decaying naturally. So that is our plan to let the decay happen naturally, increase sort of the safety margins for when we get into dismantling. Um, and that's what we call as a surveillance period. And that is a long period. Right now it's approximately 30 years. Um, and post, yeah, post surveillance, um, we would dismantle the reactor, basically remove the guts of the reactor and eventually the reactor vessel. Now, again, taking out the guts of the reactor aren't new because we do that during refurbishment. Mm. Uh, and uh, and it's many can-dos have been refurbished, so we've got good experience doing that. But we also have to remove the reactor vessel, the, the containment vessel that sort of the, the pressure tubes and the water are in and uh, we've never done that and that is a first of a kind of activity so it's planning for all those first of a kind activities um, and then you know we have to dismantle all of that and then you kind of have to dismantle the reactor buildings the vacuum building then all the conventional buildings um, and then you know everything on the site um, and we also have waste facilities that would be dismantled. And, um, and then the last step is remediate the land. So, so it's a very long process. Um, we, we are um, looking currently at what we would do with those lands. So, of course, that would dictate what you, how you end up, what you end up doing with those lands mm -hmm. um, or how far you go. Um, if it's industrial, it's different than if it's, you know, parkland um, or things like that, um, and um, so so that's sort of what we're what we're working on. Um, and I would say, you know, the 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 challenge with decommissioning is the byproducts right. of generating nuclear, right? Yeah. <laughs> so all the waste that's uh, generated um, and um, spent fuel, intermediate low-level waste. So we have to plan, we are currently plan for how do we reduce that waste? How do we minimize it? How do we clean it? How do we make it as small as possible so that it can be disposed of, um, disposed of um, in, a, in, a, in an appropriate fashion and meet all regulatory requirements. Uh, so those are all things we work on as part of this program. Wow, wow. And is there a, like you, you mentioned there's a bit of a precedent for what you're doing in the refurbishment cycle, but is there a precedent 
you know, in North America for kind of a complete um, decommissioning of a, of a site of this, maybe not a can-do, but a, yeah. a site of this magnitude? Yeah. Well, luckily for me and my team in OPG, I would say, and, and, you know, we do a lot of what we call OPEX, operating experience mm -hmm. review, right? Okay. Yep. So luckily for us, I would say the uh, U.S. in particular is um, is doing a lot of decommissioning work um, uh, or at least advancing decommissioning work or planning to advance decommissioning work. So we have OPEX there, operating experience to review there. Um, and even in Canada, there are some good decommissioning um, resources we can use around what um, um, the federal government uh, sites that are being decommissioned now are going through. Now, they're not exactly the same, but you're right. We can use a lot of learnings from those activities. And we actually have actually been to them, have been working with uh, these, these uh, utilities, or not utilities, I would say, these organizations that have been um, tasked with decommissioning these um, sort of early, early, um, uh, nuclear facilities, uh, one of them, you know, being Chalk River, right? right. Chalk River, right. what, and so we've been to Chalk River. Um, so there's a lot of experience out there. There's not really a can-do, current can-do um, unit that's been decommissioned, but there are plans for uh, decommissioning some sort of in this, you know, sort of same time frame. So we would be working together uh, to learn from each other and help each other out. That is the nice thing about the nuclear industry is that there's a lot of sharing. There's a lot of peer groups that get set up to learn from each other, help each other out. Um, and, um, and so we work with even internationals like uh, Korea, South Korea, who have can do plants. Um, so we're working with everybody that is looking at decommissioning and understanding what each other's doing so that we can sort of learn from each other and help each other out. Mm -hmm. no, that's really cool. And and so do we see do we see this as a, you know, in terms of that global, um, you know, nuclear family, so to speak, um, I guess that was an unintended pun, but you know this 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 group <laughs> of, of nuclear um, you know operators and, and owners do we see kind of a net trend towards decommissioning or do we see, you know, a, tr a lot of people talk about small modular reactors. Like if you step mm -hmm. back from the decommissioning piece, but with it was still an eye on it, what do you see as a kind of some of the global trends mm -hmm. that relates to nuclear, particularly in, you know, our, our changing world around climate and, you know, this is a low cost, mm -hmm. low emission fuel source. Um, you know, wh what are we seeing as far as global trends in, in nuclear? Yeah, I mean, I, if you're in North America, you probably think the whole world is decommissioning nuclear plants. <laughs> um, but if you look outside of North America, you look to China and the Middle East, they continue to build nuclear power, big nuclear power plants. Yeah. Um, but there's some jurisdictions, too, that are just shutting down nuclear programs because they don't want nuclear. They just have a no nuclear policy, and that's sort of like Germany, right? Right. Um, so it's sort of different everywhere. Um, and in the U.S., particularly, um, you'll see many closures being announced, but they're 
driven mainly by sort of economic factors. They, um, if the unit, if, if they, if running that unit is it profitable, then they're going to shut it down, right? Um, and um, so these companies are making economic decisions on whether to keep these units running or refurbishing them or adding capital expenditures to them to make them continue running. And that that's just most of it's economic in nature in the States. Um, but you do see a trend toward decommissioning. The um, forecast of, you know, decommissioning work is is I, I can't even quote it because I can't remember, but it was so it's so large. It's in the know 500 billion dollar ranges because because it is a massive work program that's coming in the US and so that's why you probably hear a lot of vendors talking about the opportunity in in uh, decommissioning right because there there's a lot of opportunity you are mm -hmm. essentially planning work that you likely won't execute does that you know does that change that's your, right. your mindset in terms of you know how you plan and and like in our world we're we're developing the plan and we're executing it at most it's a three, mm -hmm, three year mm -hmm. but you know you're executing work that as you joked your, your mm -hmm. grandkids might finish right mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah does that change your mindset i think like well i think it gives me a more unique opportunity to plan properly looking at all variables rather than making quick decisions that sort of, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to make um, because you're in execution. That is always the case. You always will have a plan, no matter how great your plan is, you will have to make some changes in execution. Um, but it's the robustness of the planning that will get you through uh, a successful project. We see this in Darlington refurbishment. We spent 10 years of planning um, and um, and much of that, much of the money was in engineering um, because that's that's the way to be successful. So I think that gives my, my, me and my team and OPG the opportunity to make sort of the right decisions, yeah. looking at all variables. Um, and, um, and in fact, you know, just personally, I live in Durham region. Mm. I drive by the Darlington station every five minutes I drive by the Pickering station and I plan on being here. Uh, and, um, and so I'd like to, you know, drive by those stations when I'm retired and old and I want my kids to be driving by those stations, knowing that I sort of had something to do with a great project that was starting or completing or whatever at that time. Uh, so no, I see it as a, as an opportunity to plan well, take, take the right amount of due diligence and um, and do something really, really great for um, OPG, the environment, the community and everybody, right? Cool. So I, I, I'm excited to be in this job and in this project right now. And is there a, you know, in terms of making the right decisions, you know, there, there's certainly um, a lot of safety precautions as it relates to the operations, mm -hmm. but are there particular or nuanced uh, or, or more, I guess, specific safety elements to a de decommissioning process? Well, yeah, of course. Um, there, there are differences because, you know, when you tearing something apart you don't know what you're going to find all the time yeah. uh, that's one of the key lessons learned in um, any decommissioning program um, is uh, you know look as much as you can ahead so we call it characterization so you're like characterizing the plant and uh, radiations and type types of um, byproducts that 
exist. You're also sort of, you know, 1970s is a long time ago. What's that, 50 years ago and 60, 70? So it's really paramount now to document everything you know because um, when they actually start dismantling, um, you want to make sure they have as much um, opportunity to understand what they're getting themselves into, right? What's there. Um, one of the, again, one of the lessons learned is you don't always know what's there. Mm -hmm. And um, so you've got to be very careful. Um, and you've got to have plans to, to deal and decontaminate, deal with it. Um, and, um, and, um, basically conceal it and dispose of it. So, so we are looking at sort of what we would do if um, when we come across stuff like that, how do we, how would we deal with that? Who would we, you know, how would we um, manage that? What would be the plans? I, I'm not saying all the plans are worked out because they're not. Um, and, um, but, but we are learning a lot from other places that are being de decommissioned. Um, um, and so it's, it's a, it's a unique situation. Um, you can't just go out, you can't just like start demol demolishing because, you know, you could be creating a bigger issue um, than what you, kind of started with yeah. so it's 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 dangerous it's complicated we have to make sure we use safe protocols and that we plan for for these issues cool well carla as we wrap up is there anything else about the the nuclear decommissioning or nuclear as a whole that you know we've we haven't really uh touched on or you feel like you know we haven't we haven't given enough time to um on this topic? oh um no not really i think i, I mean i kind of joked about decommissioning being sort of the ugly stepchild of the nuclear program. But um, but at the end of the day, I do fundamentally believe if we can demonstrate good decommissioning plans, good decommissioning protocols, execution capabilities, that basically sustains the nuclear program. That, that mm -hmm. supports a nuclear program in uh, Canada and the world. Uh, being able to answer those questions um, um, you know, support sort of future of SMRs, new mm. nuclear, new builds, everything like that. So, so I also see it as part of my mandate, not just to uh, decommission safely and um, and uh, holistically viewing all the variables, but also helping the nuclear program succeed by being able to demonstrate you know, decommissioning um, capability. Uh, so, so to me, it's a fundamental part of the nuclear uh, life cycle. And, um, and without it, we can't kind of support new nuclear opportunities. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a neat perspective that not only are you worried about that site, but you're worried about the future of the industry, because if, you, mm -hmm. you know, the flip side would be if you, if you can't shut them down properly, why are we going to build anymore? Right. That's what exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and if people are interested in, in learning more about OPG's decommissioning efforts, is there uh, is there a place they can go to uh, understand where you're at with this? Um, well, we have a OPG website, and um, you can learn about the various uh, um, programs in OPG, and we have one um, a general area on decommissioning. Cool, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Um, in light of all the other stuff you're probably starting <laughs> with, with COVID and, and planning for <laughs> 70 years from now. Um, That's Carla, right. <laughs> Carla, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm smarter for it uh, as a result of your time. And um, I thank you for, for sharing kind of what you're working on and, and the important work that you're doing with us and our listeners. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Bye. This is 
been Energy Radio episode 26 with my special guest, um, Carla Carmichael from OPG, uh, leading their decommissioning efforts of the Pickering Generating Station. Uh, behind the glass, we have Mark Charbonneau and our executive producer is Lisa Barber. I'm Matt Lensing. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.